0: Welcome to The Way Community Podcast. Here you'll find various teachings and messages from within our community and also from guest speakers. If you're interested in finding out more about us, visit our website, the-way.com.au. We pray that this episode edifies you. Let's move on. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 to 11. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. There it is again. (laughs) People, this is so good. This is liberating. This is refreshing and joyful. (coughs) You are not going to face judgment. He is not going to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing and just like I said a chapter ago. Of course, he didn't have chapters, but maybe if he knew we were going to put in chapters, he would have said that. So what do we learn from this one? That there is no judgment. So you can add this. To your no judgment list and with him forever, you can can add 1 Thessalonians 5 9 to 11 to your forever with Christ list. All right, there's 1 Thessalonians. Now, 2 Thessalonians. (laughs) And chapter 2 is the big one for for this. Chapter 2 verses 1 to 12. Yes, 1 to 12. Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet him. Notice that. Remember harpazo. They're snatching up, right? And he's so, so he's not talking about the second coming. He's when he says the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet him, he's talking about the rapture. Now, I know that at this point, some of you will still be going, well, Todd, you keep saying it's about the rapture, but I'm not convinced. How do you know that these scriptures are not talking about the second coming? Well, next week for you guys, and next session for those of you playing at home, You will be able to listen as we have a look and do the same thing with the second coming and we paint out from the scriptures what that second coming event looks like and and you will see why I put this as a rapture scripture as opposed to a second coming. We're going to have a look at them. We're going to see what the second coming looks like And that, because I've done this process, I'm I'm doing it for you. We could have sat here for weeks going through, looking at a scripture, saying, now, what do you think? Do you think this is a second coming scripture or do you think this is a rapture scripture? I've done some of the hard work for you and I'm painting it out for you. You can make decision on this for yourself, but the fact that he says in this, the gathering up, or the gathering to meet him, that's her part, so, right? So, verse 2, Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them, even if they claim to have a, spe- a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. See, one of the things that was going on is that there was an imposter letter floating around, supposedly from Paul, saying that the second coming had already taken place. And so Paul's writing back to the Thessalonians after writing his first letter. He's writing back to them again, saying, hold the phone, guys, settle down. Whatever this letter is that you're reading, it wasn't from me. Let's review what it was that I told you when I was with you and compare that to what you've been told in this letter, you'll see this letter's wrong. Let me remind you. Okay, so that's what this is about. Verse 3. Don't be fooled by what they say. Now listen to this. For that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Now, the day of the Lord, the second coming, will not take place before the man of sin is revealed. That's what this is telling us. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God, right? So he's saying, don't be fooled. The second coming cannot come until there is... Now, what's really interesting here is that this version says a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Two things. Now, what's interesting is where it says great rebellion, the word the Greek words can be translated most closely into English as a falling away. Or could we say catching away, a great removal. So he, this, what he's actually saying is don't be fooled by what they say, For that day, the day of the Lord, the second coming, will not come until there is the rapture and the revealing of the man of lawlessness. Those two events have to take place before the second coming can take place. Do you see that? Verse 5. Don't you remember what I told you? about all this when I was with you and and you know what is holding him back. Who's him? The man of lawlessness. For he can be revealed only when his time comes. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly and will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Then the man of lawlessness Will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will slay him by the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. Um, Just uh, get this back going. Bear with me a moment. No. Oh, that side. It's coming back. All righty. Okay. So, looking at verse six, and you know what is holding him back, for he can be revealed only when his time comes, verse 7, for this lawlessness, this man of lawlessness, is already at work secretly and will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Now, let me ask, I'm going to ask a young man here who's relatively new to the faith, um, what do you think's holding back the, the man of sin, the lawlessness, the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist? What power in the universe do you think has the capacity to hold that back? Right. <laughs> so what part of God is on the earth right now that would be holding back that, that power? Holy Spirit, it's pretty easy, isn't it? Right? and that's the thing Paul says, and you know what's restraining? It's the Holy Spirit, right? It's funny people try to make this out to be all sorts of things, but it's funny how you put any brand new believer in front of this scripture and they go, "Oh, well, that's got to be the Holy Spirit." There's nothing, you know, this great Antichrist spirit that's already at work in the world the only thing that's going to be subduing that would be God it's it's, it's pretty obvious you know they're, it, they're unlike the the, the Kabbalistic Jewish ideology that tries to find secrets buried in things when 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 God, put this down on paper for us, it was to help us. He wasn't trying to hide things from us. He was making it clear and easy to understand. And Paul, writing to these baby Christians, is doing the same thing. He's saying, look, this is obvious. You know what's holding him back. You know what's restraining this man of lawlessness. It's the Holy Spirit. Verse 9. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. and well, Doesn't sound like a good guy. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction. Notice that? To fool those who are on their way. Anyone here on their way to destruction? We'll pray for you. Right? Okay, good. Very good. Because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived and they will believe these lies. Then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. And that's none of us. And and Paul is saying, don't worry about these things. This stuff cannot happen until there is a great falling away and the man of rebellion has been revealed. So the second coming clearly has not happened yet. Okay? All right. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, which we've just read, tells us that the second coming cannot happen until the Antichrist is revealed. The Antichrist cannot be revealed until the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way. And the Holy Spirit is here, (coughs) pardon me, as the paraclete, specifically, specifically given to comfort the church. So what this scripture is telling me, if the church is going to go through the tribulation, then what this scripture is telling me is that, that God, who gave the Holy Spirit for the express purpose of comforting the church is going to remove the comforter at the very time when the church needs him most. That doesn't sound like God to me. And, and that's the thing. is that This thing paints out if, if we're here if I'm here, let, let me bring it home. I love Jesus. I've given my life to him. If I'm here the Holy Spirit's here. If the Holy Spirit's gone, I'm gone, right? The Holy Spirit is not going to be removed from the earth until the church is gone. And if the Holy Spirit has to be removed for the Antichrist to be revealed, then the church has to be gone before the Antichrist is revealed. Yep. Yeah? So, if the Holy Spirit is removed before the Antichrist is revealed, so is the church. Therefore, the rapture takes place before the Antichrist is revealed. So we can add that to our list. Takes place before the revealing of the Antichrist. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1-12. Now, we're filling up our page. I'm watching your list getting bigger. But we're not done yet. 2 Timothy. To which he, oh, few. well, he skipped a few books. 2 Timothy. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Hey? Oh, Todd, you're always going on about the rapture. Well, the Bible tells me to be eager and keen about this, right? So, you know, you think I'm keen as mustard about the rapture? Well, the Bible's telling me that I should be. (laughs) What I love about this too is for people who say, oh, you know, you're majoring on the minors. I'm looking at all these scriptures and I'm thinking to myself, this concept isn't a minor. This is not a minor concept. This is a major concept. I mean, does it it not make sense? for God to reveal to the ones that he loves his plans? I mean, is not is that not what the scripture says that he does? He does nothing without first revealing it to his prophets? I used to, to call you servants, but now I call you friends. Right? Of course, he's going to reveal to us his plans and purposes. And he's saying, this is what we're going to do, guys. This is how it's going to play out. So, of course, 2 Timothy Eager expectation, but also that there's a prize of reward. So we can add prize of reward to the list. Wow, isn't all those eager expectation scriptures good? All right, Titus. Who, Who here, is there anyone that's... Having a shift on the concept of the rapture by by listening to this, yeah? Fantastic. I, and that's what I love. That's why I do this. Because <laughs> what am I doing? I'm not I'm not telling some big story and then throwing a couple of proof texts, right? I'm just going, here's Bible. Here's a whole lot of Bible. Let's see what the Bible has to say about it. And we'll just, you know, match the pieces together. And, and that's a great thing. I don't have to stand here and pose a theory. All I'm doing is going, well, look at this scripture, and look at this scripture, and look at this scripture, and you, you can draw your own conclusion. But it's but it's pretty solid, right? All right, let's look at Titus chapter two. I get so excited about this stuff. I love this stuff. Titus chapter two, verse twelve to thirteen, and we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures we should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness and devotion to God. Here it is again. While we look forward (laughs) with hope for that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. So again, eager expectation. But also, you notice that following this idea promotes... Purity of living, right? If you eagerly expect Jesus to turn up, what do you think you're going to be doing? And this is what Jesus said. If the servant knew that his master could come at any moment, he wouldn't be getting drunk and beating up on the other servants, right? He would have the house in order, right? So that's the thing, is this house, this this body body, mind, spirit, needs to be brought into order because the master of this house is coming at any moment. And when he comes, I want him to find my house in order. So for, for those of you who are like wrestling with issues of, of sin and you're saying, you know, I need I need strategies to defeat this, feed yourself on the concept of the imminent return of Jesus Christ and it is going to it's going to spur you that word that Brit loves so much it's going to spur you to bring your house into order as you as you recognize he's coming quickly any moment he's coming for us maranatha come quickly lord jesus you know uh, when, when I first introduced a, a friend of mine, Chris Morley, to this, for, for a period of months, every time he saw me, he would say, Maranatha, Todd. Uh, and uh, I, I just loved it. I loved the idea of every time he saw me, this greeting of, remember, he's coming soon. He's coming soon. What a great way to greet each other. Hey, Matt, he's coming soon. Lockie, he's coming soon. What a, what a great way to say goodbye to each other. I'll see you tomorrow, Jared, and remember, he's coming soon. Right? What a hopeful way to, to greet each other and to say goodbye is to remind one another he's coming soon. Doesn't matter if, you, if you're struggling and striving, if you're going through a terrible time in your life. You know what? It might all be over tomorrow anyway. Keep your eye on the prize. Keep your eye on what's important, on what's coming. All right, so we can add those scriptures to promoting purity and eager expectation. Hebrews, Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. And just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, and remember we talked about this this scripture last session, is what is this judgment that it's talking about? For us as Christians, it's the evaluation where God is looking over your life for any excuse to reward you, not to punish you. He's looking for any reason, any excuse. Well, I'm, I'm looking at the way, Todd, you just loved your dogs when you were washing them. I think we can give you a reward for that. Your compassion for, for, for my creation just the way you loved those, those dogs. Like, like I, I love my creation. I, I think I can reward that. You know, it's a thing. God, God's looking for a reason. I hope he finds more than that in my life. But, but, you know, I think that that's the thing, is that he's looking, he's searching through every corner of our lives, not to punish us, but to find reasons to reward us. So again, Hebrews 9, eager expectation, no judgment. And uh, we can add those in. And I think that you can also add that into the the prize of reward as well. Put those references into your lists. Who would think that there'd be so many scriptures, huh? 1 Peter 6 and 7, so be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you have to endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honour on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So again, no judgment, but also joy and gladness and praise and honour that comes not not to God, to you, is what it says. You receive praise and honour. So it's part of the prize, part of the reward, joy and gladness. We're getting there. We're getting there. We're into 1 John. 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And here it comes again. All who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. So there we've got that eager expectation again. We've got the promoting of purity and we've got the transformation of the body all in that one scripture. So let's write them into our lists. 1 John 3 verses 2 and 3 for eager expectation. (coughs) Pardon me, the body glorified and promotes purity. Well, you'll be pleased to know we're entering the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 3. You know, you could go through all of the, where it says, to he who overcomes, and you could put them in this list too, because... When are you going to receive that reward? It'll be in this moment. Revelation 3, verse 10 to 11. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will... Now, I want you to see this, folks. I want you to see carefully what it's saying here. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere. Let me ask you something. Is there anyone here persevering in their faith? Yep. Is there anyone who struggles and strives to keep strong in their faith? Is there anyone that, that, that goes through those times? Yes. Have you continued to, despite the struggles and the strains and the times that you've fallen over, despite the trials that you have been to, through, have you continued to obey the Father and choose to live your life for Him? Is there anyone like that here? Yes. Well, I want you to read what this says. Because... You have obeyed my command to persevere. So this scripture is talking about you. Jesus says, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world. Does anyone here, young believer, anyone, want to guess what the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world might be? Does anyone want to have a guess at what that might be? The tribulation. Does Does the concept of the tribulation sound like a great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to the world? Does that sound like the tribulation to you? What's it say here? I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon, Maranatha. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. Wow. So Revelation 3.10. Get this to come back to life again. Sorry about that. The little cable is loose and I'm bumping it. So in Revelation 3.10 we see that there is salvation from coming wrath and that this concept of the rapture promotes perseverance in the faith. Isn't that good? Understanding, guys, don't you love this? Understanding the rapture will help you persevere in your faith. So we can add promotes perseverance to our list, Revelation three ten to 11, and we can put it against saves us from the coming wrath. Now, I want to go back to 1 Thessalonians 5.23 as kind of a mark scripture on this. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Comes again. So this is for the blameless. Those who are made. Now, is there anyone here with fault and sin in their life? Yes, but how are we made blameless? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we, every single one of us, are blameless. So we can add that the rapture is for the blameless and 1 Timothy 6:14 that you obey this command without wavering then no one can find fault with you from now until the Lord Jesus comes again so again it is for the blameless James chapter 5 verse 9 Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. And so what we learn from this scripture is that it is imminent. James 5.9, we can add to our list, the rapture is imminent. It can happen at any moment. The judge is standing at the door. 1 Peter 1.13 So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the earth. So again, for promotes purity, 1 Peter 1.13 and again completes salvation and it is the place of, to put our hope. And so we can add the place to put our hope with 1 Peter one thirteen to our list and add 1 Peter one thirteen to completes the work in us and promotes purity. A few more? Oh, Todd, it just goes on. Yeah, well, isn't it interesting? Like, can you see this, that it's... The concept of the rapture is not some flimsy argument that there's no scriptures on. It's it's all over the scripture. 1 Peter 5, 4. That's why if you grab my my study Bible, it's like, pick a New Testament book, (coughs) and you'll see asterisks in capital letters, RAPTURE, asterisks. And you just flick to a page and you'll find it. Right? It's, it's everywhere. I've gone through and marked every time I find something about the rapture in the scripture. I've marked it in my Bible. And it's almost embarrassing as you flick through it and you see this word constantly appearing. 1 Peter 5.4, And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honour. Does that sound like the judge of the world coming to 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 judge humanity for its evil and its wrongdoing? No. It's talking about those of us that are going to receive glory, a crown. And when the Great Shepherd appears in the um sorry, what have I done? I've I've repeated, I've doubled it up there. So yeah. So that's all right. Yeah. So it is it's a reward. It is not a it's not a judgment. So again, we can put a reward of honour next to, uh, I'll put 1 Peter 5.4 next to a prize or reward. And uh, I've also added in there the word of honour. 1 John 2.28 And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. So um, it promotes courage. 1 John 2.28, we can add that to the list. Even I'm like, oh man, when's this going to end? There's just so many. Uh, 1 John 3.2, dear friends, we are already God's children, but when he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. We do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. So we will see Jesus face to face. Our full reward is not even revealed yet. So let's add, we will see Jesus face to face and, and our full reward is not revealed. Now um I've gone back to First Thessalonians in this. I just want to see why. Right. Okay, so we didn't touch on these scriptures. all right, so let's just let's just run through these as well. So First Thessalonians 5, 1 to 11. Now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write to you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labour pains begin. Jess. And there will be no escape. (laughs) But here's something to hope for. But you aren't in the dark about these things. Now, I want you to see, this is a really key point. You know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. Now, there's this whole idea that people, are, oh, well, we just don't know when, it, when the rapture is going to happen. But see what Paul says here is, but you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. You won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you, you people sitting here, you're all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armour of faith and love and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage and build each other up just as you're already doing. So it will come unexpectedly for unbelievers. It's going to turn peace into disaster. But you and I... Now, here's something you don't hear talked about a lot. You and I are going to see it coming. Now, this is why the study of these things is so important, because it says those who are drunk... And those who are asleep, this is going to overtake them like a thief. But not for you and I. If we're awake, if we're alert, if we're clear-headed, we're going to see this coming. Isn't that interesting? And when I do my larger series on end times, I will show you why it is indeed very, very close. This scripture also tells us it's not his intention to pour out his anger on us. And again, we're to encourage each other with these words. So we can add to our list. It will come unexpectedly for the world, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 12. It will turn peace into disaster. No matter how peaceful the world may seem or how bad it may seem, what comes after this event will make this time look like peace. Believers are going to see it coming and we're to encourage each other with these words. And we can also add 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 12 to that it saves us from the coming wrath. Hebrews 10. Verses 24 to 25. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So again, we encourage each other with it and it promotes us to acts of love and good works and it promotes us to fellowship. So, Love and good works, promotes us to fellowship and we're to encourage one another with it. Now, if I was to say, let us have nothing more said about this rapture not being in the Bible, do you think I'm positioned to say that now? There is so much, that we learn about the rapture when we've actually got our eyes open to it. So now what I've done is, and I'm I'm happy to, I can give this, uh, I can send this out to you if you would like it, but I have written a definition of the rapture based on what we have learned from all of these scriptures. So you've got all of the proof texts, and then I've, I've got this definition. And uh, it's far too much to write out. i would be happy to send it out to you. The rapture appears in over 29 scriptures throughout the New Testament. It describes an event... That is not to be feared, but eagerly expected by the believer with great joy and gladness. And we are encouraged to place our hope in. These scriptures tell us that this event could happen at any moment. And though the world will not see it coming, we as believers will be able to discern its imminence. And when it happens... In a moment, with a great noise from heaven, all the Christians that have gone before will rise from their graves. Then all the Christians that are alive, along with those who have risen, will be transformed, their bodies being glorified. This prepares our bodies to inherit the kingdom of God and completes the work of victory over sin And death within us. At that moment, we will be caught up into the heavenly realms to meet Jesus face to face as he comes to get us and take us to the place he's been preparing for us, where we will be with him forever. There will be no judgment for us as believers. Though the rapture will turn peace into disaster, we are promised this event is to save us from facing wrath, even the wrath that will be poured out on the world and the Antichrist and all who follow him. Instead, as righteous and blameless believers, we will meet Jesus to receive rewards of honour though we can't fully comprehend what they will be. Thus, we are urged to encourage each other in purity, in perseverance, in courage, in faithfulness to his word, in love and good works for the kingdom, and in coming together all the more as we see this wonderful day approaching. Hallelujah. Now that is the rapture. That when we talk about the rapture, this thing that so many people want to poo-hoo, they want to dismiss, what they are dismissing is what I have just read out there. That is the concept that's brought out in Scripture. And, And I would like to think that as you read through that definition, that it's encouraging it's empowering, it gives you joy, it gives you hope, it gives you something to press on. When you are are struggling through life, when it all seems too hard and too difficult, there is this idea that this is only for a little while. And in a moment, it's all going to fade away to nothing with a brilliant flash, with a, with a, a loud noise from heaven. In a moment, all the pain the suffering, the anguish and the war is going to end. And I'm I'm going to step into the clouds. I'm going to be greeted by my, my heavenly Father, by my Lord Jesus, who has no anger towards me. He has no wrath to pour out on me. In fact, he's brought me to him to save me from what he's going to pour out on the earth. And what he wants to do instead is to reward me. Isn't that something Something to pin your life on? Isn't that something to, to drive a stake into the ground, attach an anchor to, and, and say, no matter what, I can hold on to this belief. I, regardless of what the world throws at me, I can hang on to this This thought that in a moment, it's all going to end. In a moment, it's finished and I'm going to be set free. I just think that that's that's a wonderful, wonderful concept to lay hold of. Now, one more thing that I want to point out as we finish is that people say, well, you you know, you've painted out this big idea, but it's it's one thing that nowhere else do we see this concept in scripture. When actual fact, it's everywhere. And what I want to show you just very quickly is the nine raptures of scripture. <laughs> so let's just have a look. I, I want to point out these. Events to you so that you can see that there are there's actually raptures taking place right throughout the scripture. Number one, Genesis 5, 21 to 24 is Enoch. R- remember, what's the concept of a rapture? A snatching away. The scripture says Enoch walked with God and was not. He was taken. And Jude tells us that he was taken. Okay? So Enoch was raptured. Moses was raptured. Jude 1.9 tells us that that was the case. Now remember, a rapture is of the body and it tells us that, that Satan and Michael wrestled to snatch the body of Moses. So does that sound like a rapture? Yes. The snatching up. Moses had died, but his body got caught up. Elijah, 2 Kings 2.2. 2. Elijah got caught up into heaven in a cloud. And people say, oh, he went on the chariots and the horses. No, go read it. It says that he got caught up on a cloud, and the response of Elisha was, my God, the horses and the chariots of the Lord. But he actually got snatched up in a cloud. We talked about this one, Matthew 27, verses 50 to 54. The patriarchal saints were walking the streets. But what happened to them? Did they just go on and live lives from there? No. The, First Peter tells us that after that, he, the Lord Jesus led captivity captive and took them to paradise. So they were raised from the dead, walked the earth, told people what was going on, And then we're caught up to paradise. Woo! Then in Luke 24, we have the catching away of Jesus himself, where he was caught up on a cloud and the the disciples were standing there watching him. Then (coughs) we have this little event that we've outlined over 29 scriptures for, which we generically refer to as... The rapture. Then in Revelation 11, we also see that the two witnesses get raptured. In Revelation eleven seven 7 to 12, we can see uh, a reading from verse 8. And their bodies will lie in the main street of Jerusalem, the city that is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, the city where our Lord was crucified. So where's that, folks? What city? Jerusalem, that's right. And for three and a half days, all the people, tribes and languages and nations will stare at their bodies. No one will be allowed to bury them and all people who belong to the world will gloat over them and give presents to one another to celebrate the death of the two prophets who had tormented them. But after three and a half days, God breathes life into them and they stand up and terror strikes all who are staring at them. All right, so they're dead. They get raised to life. Everybody freaks out. Then a loud voice calls from heaven. What, is it? what does it say? Come up here. And they raise to heaven in a cloud as their enemies watch. Sounds like a rapture to me. Right? And then... There's 144,000. They get raptured as well. So, um, Revelation 7, 1 to 8. Then I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds, so they did not blow on the earth or the sea or even any tree. And I saw another angel coming up from the east, carrying the seal of the living God, and he shouted to the four angels who had been given power to harm land and sea, Wait! Don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. Oh, I wonder who these servants are, right? Is that what you ask? Wait, don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. I wonder who those servants are. I wonder if it's me. I wonder if I'm a servant. Maybe I'm going to get a seal on my head. I wonder who it is. As I say with Revelation, if you're wondering what what the interpretation of it is, read a few more verses. And I heard how many were marked with the seal of God. 144,000 were sealed from all the tribes of Israel. And what do we mean by 144,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel? Well, to be sure that we understand... John goes to the trouble of writing from Judah, 12,000, from Reuben, 12,000, from Gad, 12,000, from Asher, 12,000, from Naphtali, 12,000, from Manasseh, 12,000. Are you going to do them all, Todd? Yeah. From Simeon, 12,000, from Levi, because I'm trying to make the same point that John's trying to make. He's saying it is literally... 12,000 people from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Not Europe. Not Australia. 12,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel. Literally, 12,000. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, six, 11,998. 11,999. 12,000. Now, Reuben. One, two, right? You're getting the idea, right? Literally 12,000 from each tribe. And then, so these guys, they've been marked and they—and it tells us that they're on the earth, right? Don't, don't harm the sea or the land or anything on the earth until the, the 144,000 are marked. And then we see in Revelation 14... Verses 1 to 3, Then I saw the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him were the 144,000. Hang on a minute. Where are they now? They're in heaven. Right? Who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads? And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of mighty ocean waves and the rolling of thunder. It was like the sound of many harpers playing. The great choir sang a wonderful new song, in front of the throne of God and before the four living beasts and the 24 elders, no one could learn this song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. So how did these 144,000 get from the earth where the angels were told, don't harm anything on the earth until we've marked them? How is it that now suddenly they're in heaven? Well, they got raptured too. And so then, finally, the unrighteous at the end of the tribulation also get raptured, get snatched away. Now, this may be a surprise to you because people go, because they don't have a real understanding of the tribulation and the millennium. Well, what happens after the tribulation? Well, what happens is the unrighteous are snatched of the earth. Matthew 25, 31. But when the when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne, all the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the earth. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. And Matthew 24, 37, When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's days. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up till the time Noah entered the boat. Verse 39, People didn't realise what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be walking together. Now, if you're old-time Pentecostal, you've heard this scripture about the rapture, but when you see this in context, it's talking about the end of the tribulation. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken and the other will be left. And at the conclusion of this event, or this event actually is describing the second coming of the Lord, and that is going to be our subject for our next session. God bless you guys. Hope you liked it. See you in the next session.